Wait, I'm not part of this episode? Okay, hello everyone and welcome back to the Ocean Bunker podcast brought to you by the United Kingdom Defence Journal. Today's episode, I think it's four, is it four? It is four. Yeah, it is four. And we're, and we're joined by respected journalist and founder of the United Kingdom Defence Journal, George Allison. So, uh, so welcome, George. Um, you're Thanks for having here. me. I'll pay yeah. you for that introduction later on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was a that was. I think someone actually asked that question, like unironically. You want are you on the payroll? Um, a few episodes back. Um, oh, that's why it's technical. Though know, he asked us. Um, he um, we were off. We were off mic, and he asked us. Um, is there any legal obligation to mention United Kingdom Defence Journal anywhere? I mean, I, I could pay you just. Not in money or anything valuable. <laughs> could, we could set up like a podcast currency. That's like completely irrelevant, but it's just tokenism. <laughs> so, um, yeah, moving on, we've got um, a few questions, or mainly well, three main questions, I think, lined up, uh, lined up for George, um, and then we'll be discussing events in Ukraine um, in, in depth because, face it, that's something which needs discussing. So, um, I think hop straight into the first question because there's quite a bit to get through so um so george mate um first question is how did the uk defense journal come about and uh, when was when when did it come about well the story may not be may not be too interesting but i'll tell it anyway so 2014 picture the scene scottish independence referendum fast approaching um there was a lot of i don't want to say nonsense because like people post things and they don't they don't know it's wrong. Um, so there was a lot of... Uh, oh, yeah, okay, I'll say nonsense. There was a lot of nonsense on Twitter, on Facebook, for example, about Scottish shipbuilding. You know, the whole, all the contracts have been cancelled, or, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I've been quite active in a personal capacity, correcting, you know, those kind of things. But it wasn't until after I had the tour of HMS Queen Elizabeth at Resyth that I actually wanted to start writing things down. So... I think it was I think it was January twenty fourteen. I actually launched the UK Defence Journal. It was just like a, it was like a little WordPress blog at the time. Not that it's you know too different now, but it wasn't really a serious thing. I mean, I maybe posted something like once every couple of months. Uh, but to answer your question, it started as an effort to. This is going to sound really condescending, but it started as an an effort to educate people. So many people were posting as I said, nonsense, and I just wanted to put the record straight. And after I was on the aircraft carrier, I thought, people might be interested in reading about this. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, yeah. So I, I didn't actually realise. So it's in what I believed was that it was, in fact, quite a bit older, um, the UK Defence Journal. I, I, for some reason, I'm under the impression it was like 2010, that kind of period. But that's interesting. I, had, I didn't actually know it was that young. You know, young is a word in, our, in which I can associate with it. Yeah, but I mean, we weren't very active. Um, as I said, like maybe one article out every few months. We didn't really have any notability. No one, you know, no one read anything. It was just me ranting, basically. <laughs> Not that that's really changed too much now, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So 2014. So this was this was when, so you said you visit, was it visited? HMS Queen Elizabeth in build or was witness 
Yeah, so it was um, because at the time I had something to do with a Facebook page about HMS Queen Elizabeth, the build, you know, the design, all that kind of thing. I was invited along with a few other people to tour the ship. I think this was when she was about, this was at Recife and when she was about 75% complete in terms of blocks. Um, so the ramp was on, the islands were on, it looked like an aircraft carrier rather than just a building site. Um, yeah, so that was all the way back then. Yeah, it's it's you know cut when you when you mention that actually, it's how the um the carrier alliance project has truly gone from about ten years building phase in a blink of an eye to a fully fledged carrier strike group. For me, it's been like an absolute instant. You know, comparing the build phase, it's been an absolute eternity. It's quite funny, really. Then we have the Type Twenty Six, which seems to be taking longer than an aircraft carrier, but that's another topic for another time. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, the, joy, the joys of a the joys of a carrier strike debate. Um, yeah, that's so that's interesting. And I I didn't realise that it was it was that sort of young. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to know. Um, so that brings actually to me to my to our second question, which is, how is it going at the moment, and how when you look back on what how you started, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, over the last twelve months, um, as I'm sure. You all know I work in a hospital and the last 12 months I've been, for obvious reasons that don't need discussed right now, I've been very busy. So, yeah, over the last year, it hasn't really been a focus. It hasn't. You know, I, I try and get articles out. I say I. I mean, there are maybe about 15 of us just now uh, contributing time. Some people maybe once a month. Some people three, four, five, six times a week, you know. So it does vary being, you know, a volunteer, a volunteer effort. We could never ask anybody to, or we need X amount of articles over the next week. Basically, when anyone's free to do it, they'll do it. So, yeah. But over the last 12 months, with everything that's gone on, I don't really think it's anyone has really had it at the forefront, the, the forefront of their minds. Sorry. And, um, yeah, but things are starting to ease up. So, I now do have a lot more time for the UK Defence Journal. Over the last couple of weeks, actually, has been, I think, you know, busy period, uh, sorry, our most active period, um, I think, like, it was all spurred on with the RU, a 65,000 tonne Royal Navy aircraft carrier, um, that really gave me a lot of motivation to keep going, and, um, yeah, so, as things start to pick up, I'm more, not excited about it, but I'm more motivated to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's great to hear, and obviously the current, the current situation over the last year has meant that even, you know, many people have had more etc and now as you say as, as it's starting to we can get back to sort of doing what we love and you know that's seen through uk defense journal so um the future then george the future i mean the question journal, <laughs> yeah um it's they've been used you know cited in countless i believe parliamentary reports you know journalists prominent the news articles etc etc and that's that's a hell of an achievement in itself but going forward where do you see the uk defense children year two years honestly i don't know and that might sound strange but i i just don't know a lot of the success of the uk defense journal it's it's down to the type of people we have contributing uh, we have you know former defense spokespeople from various parties uh, most recently, the a, a former tank of uh, tank commander. Um, so 
people typically know what they're doing um, when they write an article. And like, I'm not an expert, you know, I'm, I'm really not. So my whole thing was cybersecurity, enthusiastic to an extent about naval activity, naval design, you know, all that kind of thing. So I think going for, to use such a, a corporate buzzword, uh, going forward, we're really wanting to try and attract more people who just write about things they want to write about, things they're knowledgeable about. Um, I don't I don't have a long-term plan for this. I really don't. I think as long as we can just keep publishing things that people have enjoyed writing, I think, you know, that, that'll be a, a good outcome. People have mentioned monetizing the website too. Is that really isn't isn't something I've wanted to do because no, don't get me wrong, we do have adverts as monetized to a degree, but that barely, if ever, covers the actual cost of hosting the website, which before I went into this, I had no idea it would be so expensive. Content delivery, you know, just various other types of hosting, email services, all, it all adds up. But we pay for it out of our own pocket. And as I said, we don't have any plans to monetize it because I think once we start to you know, sell advert space or take editorials or sponsored content. I think we lose some of the, the whole point behind the UK Defence Journal. It's people writing in their free time when they can be bothered about stuff they know about and it, not stuff they've been paid to talk about, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And I think part of why I enjoy content so much is how it's not, as you mentioned, it's not monetary based. It's it's volunteer and, and sort of passionate based. There's there's not um a census that everything is done, you know, money wise. It's 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 nice just to know that people will do this for the sake of people reading information and the sake the sake of just doing it. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. I mean a lot of comments we get, like if, so I think it was recently on in an article about a Russian aircraft over the North Sea. So many comments were along the lines of, Oh, is it a slow day at the office? I think a lot of people don't understand it. I'm literally just a guy on a computer. If I see something interesting, I'll, I'll write about it. That's that's all yeah. there is to it. We don't have some sort of editorial agenda. I mean, I'm not part of 77 Brigade, and you know, as some nationalists would have you believe. There isn't a plan. There isn't any sort of... It, it's literally, as I said, just people writing in their free time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, you mentioned Seven Seven Brigade accusations. I mean, that stuff. Yeah, I think everyone in the UK defence community as a whole gets countless accusations per week of, you know, you oh you work for the government, you know, targeted misinformation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think you know that's part and parcel of just sort of defence-based journalism, isn't it? Even you know how petty yeah. it is. <laughs> we recently, I say recently, I think this was last year. We had someone send an email, and they'd written it. You know, using the words freedom of information request as if that's, you know, truth or dare, you have to tell me the truth, I've written this. They wanted to know who funds us, which government department we work for, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if I can remember, the subject of the email was freedom of information request regarding your funding and the your funding was in capital letters. You know, it's people just refuse to accept the fact that this isn't paid for by the government. And... Don't get me wrong, I mean, a lot of people do criticise the government, but I don't think there's a budget line for man talk, uh, man writing on laptop, you know, about bloody ships, when they're going to be launched, how many of them there are, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, as you say, it's a narrative-based thing, that, isn't it? There's, you know, 
independent supporters, you know, they will just completely disregard the very existence of fact-based information just to fit their narrative. Mm. And the fact that, you know, you, the fact that you've got an email to such a threatening aura about it, it's, it's a bit, it's well, not just a bit concerning, it's very concerning. Oh, no, it is. It's, it, it used to concern me. It used to worry me. But, I mean, it just shows that people are angry. People don't like what we've written. And we haven't written, you know, we don't publish anything controversial. We literally say things like, the Clyde will build this, Procythe will build that. But I've, I've had emails sent to my own, you know, where, where I'm employed. People are very angry about this. People, I mean, I get accused, what was it quite recently, of... Um, he works in NHS procurement. He can't possibly know how many ships are being built. It's like, what? This is public information. And first of all, I don't work in NHS procurement. But this person kept going on and on about, I probably can't even buy light bulbs. It's like, what the hell? What? Yeah. It's just absolutely crazy. Absolutely mental. It's the extent in which they'll go to discredit someone. Credible information just to fit their own narrative. Is, yeah. Is, I think, it's, obviously, I mean, it's not just us. We, we probably barely scratched the surface of this. You guys doing open source intelligence must get a ton, a ton of threats, a ton of abuse. It's the, um, the kind of the kind of targets you get is randomly just is one side accusing you of being either paid for or just some loyal to the other side, really. And it's just, yeah, it. I think the only one there was only sort of one time I think it went serious with the OSINT community, which resulted in a lot of accounts getting sus some accounts getting suspended temporarily. But for the most part, it's just you're paid you're paid by them. Well, how have you come to that conclusion? Yeah, I think it's you know one you know if you report on a certain country um, in you know maybe not in favour but fact based um, on one side, you will just get um, you know. Jordan will, will have had more than that. I know for a fact he's had more of his fair share of that. Um, I haven't, you know, touched wood. I'm knocking on wood as we speak. I haven't actually had that much of that kind of thing where, you know, it's a it's a, like a nationalist-based uh, argument that, you know, you are you are just spouting lies, etc, etc. Mm. Um, I haven't mm. had that, um, but Cross, you know, open source intelligence. Of that is probably uh, Intel Doge, um, who has been called everything from a Pakistani general to uh, a Zionist extremist. Yeah, um, I think the most. That's quite a CV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pension must it... be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I'm getting some decent pay from that. Disclaimer, that's a joke just in case they don't want to take that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I think I would say at this point, I am a relatively you know, minor account. Someone with the followers of, you know, and precedents of Jordan's Intel there and see, I think he's more likely to get more of it. Um, bigger accounts, it's clear to see. All you have to do during, during an unfolding situation, all you have to do is look at the comments. And it tells you all you need to know about rhetoric-based you know, hatred, etc. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's very. It doesn't at all vary between open source intelligence and journalism, does it? It's it's just a one. I don't like this fact, therefore I shall discredit it for more rhetoric. Oh, yeah. Recently, um, we 
made the, the horrible, terrible, you know, evil mistake of writing North Arabian Gulf instead of the Persian Gulf. And oh, honestly, oh, emails, tweets, oh. Facebook messages, it, it didn't end for three, four days. And I didn't know there was any sort of issue with that, you know, because like a lot of what we do is we collect information from press releases. And I didn't know at the time the US Navy made a major point, well, the US Department of Defense, you know, in general, made a major point of specifying North Arabian Gulf. But, oh, God, I soon learned my lesson. Yeah, no, I think I remember that, actually. I, I mean, I remember putting a tweet out about um, a rivet joint, I think it was, and I, I, I said um, Persian Gulf, and then I had about no less than 15 Arabic accounts just absolutely paragraphing me in the comments educating me as to why it was why it was um per, uh, arabian gulf and then they were getting replied to by iranians and then it just carried on it's like i you know i had no as you say i had no idea it was such a contentious issue and it's the abuse oh, I, I really wasn't prepared for that i mean they claim to try to be educators i do remember a lot of people you know framed their tweets and sort of oh but we're just trying to tell you how it is or we're trying to explain to you you know the, the regional issues yet they say two or three tweets prior it's just abuse and just horrible comments you know it's yeah. it's not really a good way to convince people is it no it's definitely not i think one i think i tried actually you know, overcoming that because i I replaced the words Persian Gulf and Arabian Gulf with the words of an, an, a body of water, just just so I could try and remain <laughs> neutral. And even that triggered people. And that was how how do you get annoyed by the words a body of water? <laughs> it, you know, it's it's something you can't even escape. But that's always the way of the internet, sadly. And I, I think nah, that is, the more people have access to social media, the more this is going to become. Not a problem, but certainly bothersome. I mean, on the UK Defence Journal, we completely avoid uh, tweeting about India or Pakistan. Completely avoid it mm. for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's you know, completely understandable. You know, um, a couple of years it, I've had my account it, for about it causes three years. quite a serious back. It causes quite like serious levels of abuse, and you just think just. Yeah, you're, just yeah, you're exactly. just randomly accusing and hurling just unnecessary abuse at someone on the other side of the planet. Like what? Like it's just going to achieve nothing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It gets to a. I don't think. I would think it gets to an extent sometimes where it is actually a bit alarming, um, on the extent in which you get it. Oh yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. I mean, it's it's sort again. Like I think some of it clearly is organised. I mean, a lot of it has to be. A lot of people will say the exact same thing to you. A lot of people will more or less post the same tweet in response. But, like, the level of hatred for silly little things, it blows my mind. I mean, there was someone sitting in a country far off, in a city far away, spilling their guts out to me about how much they hate me for what I've written. And don't get me wrong, I, I love wandered away and I love made myself a cup of coffee or something. But meanwhile... They're going at it. They hate me. They hate my family, and they do so much to try and find out about me. It, as I said, like it, it used to be quite concerning, but it's honestly laughable now. It's it's getting it's getting worse, but it's getting it's becoming more normal. If that makes sense, yeah. it's, it's and you've easier got, to get you know, used to. Yeah, you've got the you know you've got the backing. I think from like thousands upon thousands of people interested in UK defence, and you you have the backing of them. Um, as you know, as you do with you know 
your bad defense and calling people out for the, the whole carrier with no planes not you know that you know you've got almost i love doing stuff. that now i love yeah yeah no, <laughs> i used to hate it you know i not hate it but it, it used to be a little bit tiresome but you know with the whole pigeon thing and the you know hms kerry newton thing i thought why not have a bit of fun with it why not yeah i mean it's ruth wisher i think she's quite a prominent prominent um i was going to say journalist but yeah so she often tweets and she often tweets about the carrier with no planes for a reaction and i think things are going that way people will tweet this because they know we will appear they know yeah. we will amplify their tweets by you know retweeting it with some daft remark about pigeons or some silly thing so there is kind of a balance with that i want to stop doing it but i enjoy doing it i've tried so many times not to use the uk defense journal account for this it's not just me that runs the account by the way um andrew one of the web admin guys i say, you know i make it sound like a business he's my friend from university who does the sort of back-end stuff from for the uk defense journal so he does a lot of the social media stuff brian does a lot of the social media stuff but i just started enjoying arguing with people on the internet so much that i decided yeah. you know i mean that's why the uk defense journal started i think as i said you know at the start of all this it was to correct people and i think you can have a little bit too much fun doing that yeah uh, and if i may say so myself it would be an absolute travesty should the uk defense journal stop doing correction mm. i remember you know i think it was a couple of years ago now you you put out a statement saying that you would no longer be continuing on this path of correcting and then everyone every single person i read reacting to that was like no you won't you're going to keep doing it because it's an absolute laugh yep then we kept going but like <laughs> yeah. that what that I'm wasn't sure. intentional i had you know i was full of the best intentions with that at first i said look we're only going to respond to politicians you know celebrities notable people blue ticked people you know but then we did keep to that for about two days three days and then i was bored on a train and i, I just searched i'm sure you guys do to search for like keywords various topics all that kind of things yeah i do yeah and you know it just kept going it just kept going I tried to set up, I think it was um, Carrier Correct and Trident Correct, you know, like a couple of Twitter accounts just yeah, yeah, to yeah. move it there. But that became two separate accounts just for two distinct little things was just, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable. It was too much hassle to manage as well. I know, I, I know it's only Twitter accounts, but it's keeping track of everything. I prefer to do it in the one account. So being able to correct people through the UK Defence Journal is just easier yeah actually as we're speaking i've just uh put into twitter carry with no planes and the first thing i see are the what are these pigeons <laughs> <laughs> absolutely class honestly that you know has she deleted the tweet i think she's deleted the tweet oh no um she blocked us uh protected her account oh, and of course, of course she did oh no because it's our fault she couldn't read the bloody tweet but i <laughs> i i do feel sorry for uh, i think it was kerry the daily mail absolutely ruined what was a good joke they did um they started running i think it was two stories they done or maybe i'm thinking of the express and the deal anyway um basically it, most people who reported it took a sort of positive approach oh look someone made a mistake haha Oh, but the Daily Mail, this SNP supporter left red-faced after stupid comment. It was horrible. It was nasty. And the thing yeah, is, no, like, there's no, 
There's no call for it, is there? No, and the um, thing is, I think she's she's a Labour supporter as well. It's like they didn't even do the most basic of research into her like Twitter account. They didn't click and read the bio or anything. No, <laughs> no, no. But it, it did ruin it for me. So yeah, I was going to reach out to her. Look, listen, I'm I'm sorry about this. I'll take down the tweet. But of course, she blocked me. So the tweet's there. Yeah, as it should be, in my opinion. You know, it should it should be there just to remind people what happens when you blatantly spread this information. Yeah, I really was, wasn't prepared for how far that would go, though. I really wasn't. Like People I know that have no connection at all to the UK Defence Journal had posted it on their Facebook stories, you know, Instagram stories. Well, you'd made it all the yeah. way to Facebook in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's saying something. I don't know a lot about South, South African Facebook, but that, that is, you know, I reckon that's saying something. I mean, I, I didn't even, I, I didn't write it with intention of really making a joke. I just, the whole point was, Kerry, just just read the tweet again. You know, I thought the pigeon yeah. one would, that was me trying, you know, to be somewhat witty. Not, not, that I, not that I really have much of a track record in success with that, but I thought that one would go somewhere <laughs> as opposed to the, <laughs> are you a 65,000 yeah. ton Royal Navy aircraft carrier? Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, that ended up in God knows how many outlets i think that uh what was the one i saw um wasn't it comp something like comeback of the day a week or month or something like that yeah that was from the the pork i think it was yeah that was that's it yeah yeah try and find it it was yeah i <laughs> i had no idea this like this entire thing it was a comeback of the day but and... no like for future reference you know replies to tweets from the police are gold for this kind of stuff they are always gold people either angry at the police or just outright you know indignant over some daft little thing will just anger tweet or rage tweet at the police they won't read they will never read the tweet so it's always a gold mine for that kind of stuff it really yeah is. yeah and i think you know many people listening to this might just think this is orientated just one argument you know, carry with no planes and there, there are count i mean say though george you know you know enough about this there are countless at the moment where someone will argue something that is blatantly stupid point to the extent in which you have no choice to just reply something to it i mean off the top of my head you know deploying a carrier strike group to the english channel to deal with um migrants on dinghy yeah th those tweets I mean, I really try not to engage with that because it's so common and it actually surprises me how common it is for grown adults to suggest sending a 65,000 ton aircraft carrier to sink dinghies full of people. And it's, it's people, you know, like regardless of your political views on this, regardless of whether you think immigration is a good thing or a bad thing or there's a security issue with it, the fact of the matter is it, people they're defenceless for the most part people and to want to send an aircraft it just it, it makes yeah I, I think you know what i'm trying to say it's yeah. just it's, yeah it makes you feel a bit ill to be it's honest it's soul destroying it, yeah that's the words they are that is truly the words it's soul destroying and, and, and i think with twitter as well you've got to remember it it becomes a bit of an echo chain because you'll get one person who'll make oh, a yeah. joke and I mean, this, you know, we've obviously had April Fools this week, um, and that there's been a few classic examples there. Um, <laughs> disasters, um, where someone will make a joke, and then someone else will 
not recognise the joke and actually agree with the sentiment of it or the statement, and then suddenly it just blows everything out of all proportion. Um, as I was saying before we started recording this evening, you had um, uh, the very well-renowned H.I. Sutton, uh, who does a lot of uh, Navy cutouts of uh, ship designs and stuff, um, and his April Fool's joke was about a new Chinese submarine, um, and unfortunately some people didn't get that it was a joke, and it ended up all over um, a news channel in India. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously that's a fairly harmless example, but like you say, you, you get people who will joke about, oh, let, let's send the aircraft carrier to go and deal with the, the, you know, the immigration problem, and then people take it too far. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. yeah it's, it's, I must say, I, I got a proper laugh out of the H.I. Sutton, uh, Sutton thing. Proper laugh. It's just because the extent in which it goes, it's, you say something harmless on Twitter, and then bam, it's on Indian mainstream. I really have to look this up. I didn't know this happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. But oh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna we'll, look we'll into post, that. We'll post the link to uh, his original tweet in the uh, video description uh, when we upload this. Yeah, um, yeah, I will. I will definitely have a look after. And uh, yeah, that's that's the, that's a prime example, isn't it, of how literally things can be taken. I mean, George, you know, you, you received countless emails from people who just didn't accept the April Fool's jokes. Absolutely. And it, the thing is, so many people would tweet or, or comment on Facebook, oh, April the 1st was yesterday, you know, you know stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's when we posted it. Just look at the date above. Daft little things like that. I, I think there's a big problem with social media. People aren't willing to critically evaluate what they're reading or where it comes from. I mean, our articles were clearly marked. I think like over half of them were in fact, over half of the, the content was a couple of paragraphs explaining, this is April Fool's, please do not share it after April the 1st. If anyone has shared it, maybe let them know. But still people were just, oh, this can't be true. Oh, that's silly. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, daft, daft comment. Yeah. And that there was one that stood out to me, and that was the the HMS. Uh, I think it was HMS Albion or Bulwark. Which one was it? Yeah, Albion, Albion was to be renamed oh, HMS God. Europa. Absolute <laughs> cesspit of the comments. Absolute cesspit. I've never seen anything like it. It's we're still getting responses to that. Like I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. On on the train home, I was reading the thread, and it, people are still going. I think I I may have posted this on Twitter. I'm not sure. Has anyone here heard of Aaron Banks? Prominent yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He was. <laughs> on April the 2nd, he was so angry about it. So angry. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? But the thing is, like, he followed us up until that point, And then once he'd found out the tweet was obviously an April Fool's, well, he unfollowed us, didn't he? Oh, he was so angry that we tipped him. He unfollowed us in case we tricked him again. Oh no! That oh, so even after he knew it was an April Fool, he just he just chose to unfollow. Yeah, he threw his toys out oh, of his pram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's absolutely brilliant! That really is. Speaking of, um, but hasn't Dominic Cummings got um, a defence? Just off, completely off topic. Just me asking a question, hasn't he? Oh, he has. George, does he follow you? I have no idea. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, 
I mean, John, John's were my idea. I mean, if he if he has followed me, it was my idea. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like he would be the kind of person to do like an Aaron Banks. I, I, that is beyond me, though. That is absolutely beyond. So he knew it was an April Fool's joke and was still offended by it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think though he did he did fall for it, and when his followers pointed that out. It's it's so strange because it must have been so much after the fact that he stopped whatever he was doing, went onto Twitter, looked for our account, and clicked on follow because we tricked him. And it's just so strange. Like Andrew Neil, for example, he retweeted a couple of things. He knew they were April Fools, and like I, th- I assume he had a good laugh um, over it. Maybe a couple he fell for, but he didn't, you know, unfollow that kind of thing. People can be so petty, so bloody petty. Yeah, and it's. It's like, oh yeah, I don't like this one because it doesn't align with my political views, even though it's a joke. Yeah. And then others, it'll be, oh yeah, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. That, that is just a real issue, to be honest. But I'm still laughing at the Aaron Banks, the Aaron Banks bit. We, we did do our best to try and lampoon all of the main sort of political parties, you know, lampoon the Tories trying to rename ships to appease, you know, Scottish nationalists. Obviously, that wouldn't work, but so many people thought it was a genuine thing like yeah. so many people think there's going to be an HMS Nicola Sturgeon still and <laughs> I, I don't have the heart to reply to those people I really don't because they no, have no, much I bigger issues so uh, yeah that's that's been, a, that's been a brilliant chat mate um, I think what we're going to do now is let you get some rest uh, after, after a long day um, thank you very much for coming well, on thank um, you for having me it has been a good laugh um, yeah I hope I've answered all your questions and yeah. good luck with the rest of the show, guys. Okay. Yes, thank you very thank you. much. Take care. Cheers, George. Moving on to the uh, the second topic, Ukraine. Um, well, where do we start? <laughs> so, <laughs> I it, think, yeah, it's been yeah. a busy week on, um, in the world of Ukraine and Russia. Um, obviously, last episode, we, we did touch briefly on um, sort of the situation that was very much building up there, um, that was what, two weeks ago now? Um, developments have come thick and fast, um, there is an awful lot obviously being uh, shared on Twitter at the minute, um, it has finally sort of in the last five or six days hit mainstream news as well, although admittedly not as strongly perhaps as it should be. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, once again, Europe is facing an invasion, and that is that is the upshot. That is not sensationalism. There is an active threat. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, active threat of an invasion, and the upshot is it's being completely overlooked, um, and that's shocking, frankly. Um, you know, um, mass mass build up of of Russian armor, Russian equipment, Russian, Russian troops. On the Ukrainian border, and everyone seems to be turning a blind eye to it. it it's mm. just the words "unacceptable" comes to mind. I think, yeah, but it's just absolutely beyond me. And um, you know, over the last, you know, since we recorded episode three, there's been, as as you say, lots of developments, lots of footage of armored vehicles <clears throat> being transported to front line. Yeah. Um, I believe two days ago was the was the deadliest. Well, Retract that. Not deadliest, but the most ceasefire violations. violations. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. Um, Jordan, wasn't it like? Uh, I feel like it might have been two hundred and twenty-four in two hundred and twenty-five hours or something. Like that. There was a there was there was, there was, there was here, definitely actually. there was um, definitely a lot. Yeah, yeah the OS the, from uh, April the third, the number of ceasefire violation ceasefire violations was just over a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah something else. The start of the first of April and the uh, the time I took note on the third of April, there have been five hundred and ninety four ceasefire violations in Crimea and Donetsk region, uh, including four hundred and fifty three explosions. Um, there was also a further four hundred and twenty seven violations in the Luhansk region, with fifty eight of those being explosions. Yeah, and. Um... That's extremely worrying. Obviously, that I think that needs no introduction or explanation. Uh, um, I think today, uh, on day of recording, which is God, what day is it? I've completely lost track fourth. of time. Fourth. That's <laughs> yeah, fourth. So the last couple of days, third or fourth, uh, third and fourth of April, it hasn't as um, hasn't been as active. Um, uh, there's been you know, a handful of exchanges of fire, but that's it. However, the you know, situation remains incredibly. Um, Russian, you know, Russian air defense systems have been you know, moving up and down the border. Mm. Ukraine's been carrying out mass exercises to simulate um, incursion. Uh, Black Sea Fleet mobilized, high readiness, etc., etc. It's all, it's all all coming to loggerheads and it's it's not being documented yeah and i think i think we've had that um we've had whose account was it there was a oh yeah the cit team on uh, twitter um have been sort of keeping a very very close eye on this and, and we'll link some of their tweets in the description of the video um but we've they, they've managed to identify some of the equipment that's been moving uh, to the ukrainian border and some of it has traveled as much it's three and a half thousand kilometers, um, according to the research that they've done. Um, they've managed to trans uh, actually uh, locate vehicles coming in from um, units that are sort of ridiculous distances away from Ukraine. Um, and obviously, it's not just equipment; it's troops as well. And we're now hearing as well it's it, it's no longer just conscripts that are being sent to the front lines it's, it's also sort of the professional uh military personnel the, the, the career soldiers if you like yeah and um in terms of um aircraft movements i'll ask the expert uh jordan mate so what have we been has there been you know any increase decrease anything uh there's been a few no few notable things. So what I can what I can say is that so there's been the the regular sort of P eight P eight and RAF rivet joint activities over the black over the Black Sea monitoring Crimea. Those have been getting increasingly closer to um, the coastline of Crimea than the previous than they've previously done in the past, and all and also there was um, an RAF aircraft that. BE one four six that went into uh, Kiev roughly towards the roughly I would say probably the first day on from when the conflict began. Uh, 
yeah, it was either yesterday or the day before you had a US Air Force C-130 go into Kiev and back again. And today there was a USAF C, a US Air Force C-17 going into Lviv in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and of course we had uh, the the um, RQ-4, the global, we had two, in fact, the first time I think I've ever seen two operating at the same time. Um, this as you as you said about the p8s closer than ever really that you know that says to us that the us are looking very close at the situation in crimea mm. um and you've had as well again i can't remember if you mentioned it already but we've obviously also now got the um u2s dragon ladies um yes three yes. now to fairford uh, in the uk um i believe there is still one more uh, actually operating out of cyprus there, there usually, there usually is it. It just seems to randomly pop up on flight tracking every now and then. But I've yeah. never been able to catch it on satel- on satellite. So it, it obviously stays parked in a hangar. Yeah. So there's, there's Which, potentially yeah, you would expect. four of these aircraft within easy flight range of Ukraine and the Russian border, um, and it is quite a significant, you know, build up. Um, and yeah, as you say, air quickly. You know, one thing to watch. Um, is at the end of the aircraft movement, um, you know, shutting down. I think the main massive indicator we'd have the shutting down of air traffic um, should anything go hot, and that is that will give us a massive red line. Yeah, it's definitely very concerning at the moment. Um, massive amount of disinformation as well for anyone looking on, you know, etc. etc for news please check your sources yeah check your sources um, always um i know it obviously like i said earlier we, we obviously had april fool's day this week um and there was a lot of while there was a lot of uh, accounts in the community who, who did sort of you know get involved with the jokes um there were a number of accounts which very much sort of said yeah we're not going to do it this year because of how serious things are at the moment we don't want to risk yeah. this you know saying yeah, something in and, a joking manner and people taking it way out of proportion again. And, you know, that goes back to what we you know, were discussing with George and April April for it's funny. However, you know, personally I didn't nor did the uh, nor the technical part participate because the situation globally is so volatile that actually mm. when we have such a platform stuff can be taken out in an instant and circulated, you know, quite widely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we don't want to be responsible for that. And that's what we're about. Yeah, it's it's a lot to discuss. Yeah. And it, um, it's, it's fair to say that at the minute, the, the thing to look for, particularly with Ukraine, Russia, um, obviously, you know, as I've been tweeting on, on a couple of days this week, um, Ukraine has very much been communicating in the public sphere on social media and, and, and no doubt behind closed doors as well. Um, kind of asking NATO to step in. Um, they've asked NATO to begin joint combat air patrols over Ukraine. They've asked for NATO troops to be sent to the country to take part in quote-unquote exercises. Um, and their uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs account uh, that is that sort of deals with NATO has also been very publicly saying, oh yeah, yeah, you know, we, we want to join NATO and so on and so forth. 
Um, and I think it's yeah. Obviously, Ukraine joining NATO has been a consideration for some time now, and it, it has been something that some countries have been pushing for for a while. But I think at the moment what we're seeing is NATO being somewhat reluctant, because obviously um, with NATO, Article 5, you know, an attack on one member is an attack on all. The fact that Ukraine is not currently a member state, um, and the fact that, you know, Russia is very clearly making moves that would suggest an attack is imminent it, it, yeah it's kind, of a, it's kind of put nato in a position where they don't want to suddenly pull ukraine in to the alliance because they know that that will then tie them into a fight but at the same time there are enough people at nato who know that they can't really afford to just stand by and let russia do what it wants and I think yeah. the, the problem we're going to have now is that it's going to be a, a, a very key thing of political will. Um, I think it's interesting that Russia's chosen to start taking these actions now. Um, obviously, it's you know we're living in a world post the Trump administration. Um, obviously, Biden's handling of Iran has potentially been a signal to Russia that uh, Biden is not going to be quite as tough to deal with as Trump was. And maybe that's part of the reason for the timing of all of this, you know, um, with the US still dealing with a great deal of its internal turmoil, um, Biden very much focused on dealing with Iran and um, all that sort of thing. I, I suppose Russia is seeing an opportunity here to take action that perhaps it would have taken a, a, a great deal sooner had the situation been different. Yeah. Um... The thing is here that there's a general thing europe and the west are weak at the moment and that is hopefully just a short-term thing because covid the pandemic has significantly weakened the economies of mm. you know dozens of countries and russia as you say it sniffs it it smells and there is an opportunity for expansion and the fact that ukraine isn't in nato you know it's only a nato partner I think NATO is, you say they're reluctant due to the, if Ukraine is allowed in NATO, there is a greater risk of, of a European all-out war. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we want to see Ukraine in NATO, with like solidarity, there is an element of selfishness in terms of if Ukraine is a NATO member and they are attacked, that then means under you know, NATO UN law that every single country stands by Ukraine in confront in confronting that threat may it be through you know may it be through force yeah. and I think there's almost a mitigation thing there where you, yeah, you can't afford to risk that yeah there's, there's a lack of political will at the minute um, I mean you've obviously got like I say you've got the Biden administration they are somewhat more reluctant to act perhaps than the Trump administration although even the Trump administration was not overly hot on uh, NATO until pretty much the very end um, it's fair to say Germany at the minute they are sort of very much not keen on being as no. involved in NATO um, you've also got to remember that the European Union itself is looking at its own defence structures as well um, and potentially that that will become sort of its focus rather than continuing to focus on NATO. Um, the alliance is not, you know, it's, it's not going to fall apart or crumble tomorrow, but 
it's fair to say that NATO at the moment is very much at a crossroads and it's the way that it responds to the situation with Ukraine and Russia will very much determine whether or not it survives the next five to ten years. Um, I don't think yeah, a lot I of, yeah, I don't think a lot of the politicians or the, uh, the senior leadership at NATO realise that at the moment. Um, and I, no, I think that. as well it doesn't help that, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the mainstream media has been very, very slow on the uptake about this entire story um, with the Ukraine. And so I think yeah. when, if, if and when things do in fact start really kicking off and we do perhaps see Russian tanks rolling across the border into Ukraine properly, I think it will come as a surprise to a, a significant portion of the world. And it, it, it will take time to see a response. Um, I think yeah, the only I... thing that has been really reassuring is the fact that we are seeing this build-up of US reconnaissance assets um, sort of, you know, appearing across Europe and operating in the direction of the Ukraine, um, both US and, and UK assets, uh, as a matter of fact, because at least it shows that both parties in that case are aware of what's going on and they're not ignoring this, you know, this sort of growth of military equipment on the border and this, this build-up of, of technology and personnel. Um, whether yeah. that translates into actual action, whether it translates into I don't know, uh, the carrier strike group of some description maybe positioning itself in the Mediterranean for a little while to keep an eye on things, or troops being moved around in Europe, or something like that, remains to be seen. Um, at the moment there's certainly no indications that NATO is planning to act, and I think the Ukrainians are probably well aware of this and are probably very, very concerned, um, and, and rightly so, and, and, and NATO will need to find the, the point where we want to look like we are helping the Ukrainians because ultimately if we want them as a NATO ally at some point in the future we kind of need to show that we are prepared to help them out but at the same yeah. time as I've said the, you know, the lack of political will at the minute because Ukraine is not a NATO member um, and because you know ultimately like you say the, the financial implications at the moment of engaging in a fight with Russia um, a lot of NATO countries just politically cannot justify that right now um, and that can yeah. spell disaster for Ukraine and, and, and for the wider area and just a quick you know almost a clarification about you know we came back to the media bit and what the four of us are saying and this I mean I'm going to include Jordan and, and this what we you know at no point are we these people who say mainstream media is invalid you know, we're not we're not saying that you know uh, you know mainstream media bad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What we are saying is, you know, we are merely giving our views in terms of they have been very slow pick up on this, and we are not, you know, we are not those who who you know, advocate things, you know, defund the BBC, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think what we are as open source intelligence accounts are almost all right, Editor Technical here, just jumping into the podcast randomly because I can do that. Um, it's like 1 a.m. where I am right now. I'm, I'm literally editing this for, for morning release. Um, when it comes to traditional media, they're usually slow at acquiring news stories. But once they get, you know, the, the sort of hulking juggernaut turned around and, you know, looking at something specific, they're really, really good at reporting on it. 
Um, they're also really good at independently generating stories. Um, and they're definitely better than us at fact-checking things and making sure their their stuff is correct before they actually post it. Um, so there definitely is a role for them in in media as a whole. The only issue that we have is we try to drive them into actually acting a bit quicker because as long as there are people sitting on the sidelines to sort of drive them in a direction, that, that definitely helps and it definitely moves them more towards, you know, focusing on a story like the more people start yelling about the situation in ukraine the quicker traditional media outlets will more swing around and focus on that and then you'll start seeing stories from ukraine and you'll just get that better level of information that obviously we can't provide because none of us are actually going to go on the ground in ukraine but we're definitely faster at getting the broad stroke stuff on on the page um so that that's sort of where it stands in my opinion right now I would say, I'm trying to find a good way to put this, I wouldn't say a substitute, but I would say we, we position ourselves ahead. Mm. But, you know, in, in any way, that is not a criticism of the work they do. That is just that is just us saying they have been a bit slow to, slower than us to respond. But almost certainly, you know, they, they, they saying that, get your ass in gear, start reporting the facts is not enough people were taking uh, taking this on board and the fact that once again we are facing an invasion in our lifetime you know for the second time in you know under 10 years it's it's just alarming and sooner or later covid will go away hopefully i say that british um they're gonna have to wake up and and face the fact that this is no longer something that can be ignored so there is a there is an element of that um over the coming days um we'll keep an eye keep an eye out follow our four accounts links will be in the uh, description as always mm -hmm. um we'll be bringing you up to date with most things any things that will be happening in ukraine um and i'll personally be focusing on ukraine the other three will likely be doing you know aircraft movements other news yeah uk domestic um I think with that, I think we'll wrap up, John. Um, yeah. So with that, thank you very much for listening. Um, yeah, until two weeks. Um, I believe weekend of April. But I'm probably wrong. Um, the 18th. I, I believe technical is planning. Yeah. Got it. Um, I believe technical is planning maybe on doing a quick update should um, things escalate in Ukraine. Um, actually, yeah, we were talking about doing a live stream um, in case you know a massive escalation has you know did occur. We we were talking about going live yeah. on YouTube. And, and um, I'll, I'll I'll stick a a poll up on my uh, Twitter later this evening just to ask you guys. Yeah, I will be do the same. In that. Um, yeah, please do make sure that you comment on that. You tweet um, and like and and obviously vote. Um, obviously, you know. Who, who will be there will depend on whether or not folks are working or not but if things do start kicking off you will find us and we will be bringing you the news as it develops so thank you very much ladies and gentlemen for listening uh, this has been the OSINT Bunker podcast um, and until next time take care